hello. I'm Teo Penglis. I'm here with Vicky, and we're having fun. We are having fun, and you guys are just joining us, and so you're going to join the fun. Um, and we're on Game Changers. And uh, hi, Teo. Hello. What a magn... I, I, as, as Christina and I drove up the street and trying to figure out which house was yours, it was clear which house was yours because it had the inviting open gate. Yeah. It had those the huge windows with were just magnificent. Uh, and then as we walked up, there's a heart with... What, what's in the heart? Oh, it, you know, that used to be in a church and, you know, that's where people used to go and pray and light the candle and put money in there. And a friend of mine who had it in their family forever, a hundred years, gave it to me. And, and it still has money in it, right? It still has money in it. So if you guys can find Teo's house, there's money outside. It's probably old coins. <laughs> so this house, for those of you who uh, are joining us now, we did a little promo video before we started and you can find it on my Facebook page. And we just looked at maybe a minuscule percentage of the art that is in this house that is just magnificent. I don't know where it came from really, except that I wanted to be an archeologist. And that was my dream when I was a young kid, because you know, Greek fathers always in front of relatives will say, so son, what are you gonna do when you grow up? I said, I'm gonna be an archeologist. So my father was very proud. Mm. And then I turned out to be a bit of a <laughs> troubled kid and archeology span was still a part of my essence, I think, and um, and that's why I take my journeys that I do, because in many ways, I keep thinking I'm going to discover, which I have. Have you? Oh, yes. I'm in uh, 2340 BC, in a tomb called Mer, in in Saqqara, where the cemetery is, the ancient cemetery, and they had just opened a tomb, uh, and I went in with this great nobleman, and uh, I, I don't know why, but I felt very uh, spiritual when I walked. I just had a sense of the place, and so when I walked in and I said, I'd like to spend some time in this room. Underneath that sand, and this had not been touched in over 4,000 years, I found a mummified cloth with a jackal's jaw, and I found this incredible piece of jewelry, and, and I could hear them coming, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Are you them. allowed to take that stuff? No, 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 no. So I buried it back in there, Yeah. but I looked at the mummified cloth, and I thought, I wonder why I found this. So when the nobleman came and I said, look what I found, he said, I'll take it, you know, because there are so many mummies there. <laughs> So I eventually took it, so but when I came through, there. when I came through uh, customs in the United States, they said yes. to me, "What's that?" I said, "Oh, family heirlooms." He goes, "Oh, please take it away." So there was no questions asked. So it was great. So it's up there. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So it's 2340 BC. So we're talking about over 4,000 years. So the first thing I ever discovered was that. What did you tell them that the jewelry was under there? Oh, I didn't say anything. No, you didn't. I didn't say anything. But what? I went years later. Every was it gone? Grain of sand. <laughs> It was taken out of the tomb. <laughs> and I, it was a nobleman's um, necklace. So it had gold and, and oh. amber and turquoise. And I looked at it and it hadn't been touched in all those thousands of years. Well, now, why didn't you, why, why did you rebury it? Well, firstly, you know, what was I going to do with it? And I secondly, I didn't want to get into trouble because, you know, Egypt, you know, through the centuries has, has been looted a mm. lot, just mm. like Greece and, and uh, Italy, uh, China, and I wanted, in, in many ways, I, I didn't think it belonged to me, and mm. I thought, what am I going to do with this, and I, the idea of stealing or taking it, I thought, you know, if they stopped you, you know, when they throw you in prison in Egypt, if you know the stories over there, you're only in there for a year without even seeing a lawyer, so I just, I just let it be, but it, you know, the memory was great, but I had that cloth, mummified cloth, so. So you are, me. like... You are Raiders of the Lost. What was his character's name? You are. You're Harrison Ford. Oh, 
You know, well, you know, some people think, you know, when I'm dressed up and I go, you know, on my uh, journeys, um, you know, riding a camel and all that. I mean, it's just, I love discovering things and somehow it was my choice of education. You know, uh, we, do you know, do you, do you have any idea what sparked that as a boy? What, was it just innate? Was it something that you just... I think it was in me because um, I, I'm always curious. Um, I remember Jane Fonda saying one time the the idea of longevity is curiosity. Mm. And so I went, you know what? I've been curious since I was a, a young boy. And I think in many ways it, it unravels. I like to unravel mysteries you mm. know, or think about... And, and after doing metaphysics for many years of my life, I started to think that many of these places had I been there before, especially the ones mm. I discovered for the first time. Um, it's, it's, it's knowledge. And to me, uh, what are we here for except to accumulate that which we don't know? And I think it just develops the soul into a, a, a larger essence of itself. And then you turn around one day, which is where I'm at now, and you mm -hmm. turn around and you share it. You, you, you know, I've got my nephews, I've got young people who are looking for mentors. Uh, I have mentors, and if it wasn't for them, I, I'm not quite sure where I would have gone, but I was guided. So I do that with the young who are looking, who are hungry, who are looking to further themselves, but they don't know which path to take. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's part of where I was doing the soap for that many years. You know, I would come back, everybody was kind of stale and mm -hmm. tired. And, I would come back because I'd taken this incredible journey, mm -hmm. being in Egypt or, or Jordan or um, Greece or Italy, mm -hmm. um, and I would come back full. Mm. So what do you do with that knowledge? You know, I, that's why I began to write. But you put it into the work, the enthusiasm, the joy of it, the discovery of it, and it makes your character that much more interesting. But you know, a lot of them might say, "Well, what did you do for for your time off?" And they would say, "Oh, I just..." Oh, I fixed the, painted the wall, <laughs> I, I made a den, you know, and then it doesn't add. And you're traveling add. the world. It doesn't add. You know, to me, it's about who are you? You know, that's the secret that you have to unravel in a lifetime. Mm, I'm looking at, so maybe we're a little hot, Christina. I, I made Christina make the lights really bright, and now, I, now we're like fading into oblivion. Thank you. Christina Guzman back there. Hey. Thank you, Christina. They don't go any um, lower, though. They're on 10. Well, 10 doesn't go down to zero? No. What do you mean? They don't go any lower than You mean they're on zero? They're on 10. You want me to turn it off? That's the only... No, no, no. Oh, no. Isn't 10 the highest? No, that's the lowest. It goes up to 100. I can move it back. So, yeah. So, maybe... Oh, people are sending love. Teo, there are hearts, like, like going up into the to the thing. So, okay. So, who who were some of your mentors? As, as well, my, my most important one, I would think, was Milton Katsalas, who was, you know, one of Thank my you. great directors who did Street Carnival, was mm -hmm. Eddie Kazan. Mm -hmm. So he was Eddie Kazan's assistant. So when I met New Year, wow. I, I went to work for the UN for a year, and mm -hmm. then I met Milton Katsalas. I became his assistant. Uh, but at first, when he asked me to be his assistant, I, I said I didn't like him. Huh. He says, what do you mean you don't like me? Do you know who I, I was? I was mm -hmm. Eddie Kazan's assistant. Now you're going to be mine. You know what that means? And, mm -hmm. and I said, yeah, but I still don't like you, which was true. I just thought he was, for a Greek, uh, you know, which is typical, it was very arrogant, but all that broke down. I mean, you know, it was like Joe Moscova, who I worked with so many years. It's, it's getting to know someone who is used to having their way, who likes control. So how do, you, how do you break through when somebody is that way? Is it acceptance of who they are? 
What makes it okay for you after time? Sometimes you beat them at their own game. Ah. Uh, sometimes he used to say to me, Milton, when we were doing a play, mm -hmm. um, and he would say, give me a note. I said, I've already done it. He said, how did you know that? And I said, I don't know. I just know. So uh, we were on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. So I was always ahead of the game with him. Um, well, I remember one time when we were doing, um, with the, the writer of um, Chorus Line, we are doing P.S. Your Cat Is Dead, uh, with uh, Keir DeLay. And uh, oh Milton, we're, and we're sitting in the kitchen, and Milton mm -hmm. said, you know, we're hungry. Would you make something like a Greek lemon soup? And I looked at him, I said, it's midnight. He said, it doesn't matter. We're going to be working late. And I said, okay. So I made a Greek lemon soup. And then when it was all just finished. Just like that? Just like that. And when we finished, he said, aren't you going to wash the dishes? I said, you know what? I'm your assistant. I I'm not your maid. So I said, you wash the dishes. It was things like that that got him going. And that, that was always... That was always fun, and in the end, that was very ballsy of you. Well, I was always ballsy, you know. I was, um, I was very confronted. But not too many things frightened me, um, I, and I think when he said to me uh, one day, someone said to him one day, "Who was your best assistant?" He says, "Ted." He says, "Why?" He said, "Trust." Mm. So you know that ethics, all those things that are part of, you can't say that about you know politicians of today. You oh, know, no, you can't. Well, without mentioning names. But, you know, uh, ethics are things that are not... Um, but deserved. it's the fearlessness that's very interesting to me because uh, let's talk about your, your, your background so that we can get a sense of, of where you come from and, and where you got that fearless. Because I, I think it takes great uh, security and love in the home to be fearless or the opposite. So... Okay, so you were raised in Australia, but you're of Greek descent. How did that happen? When did your family go to Australia, and why? Well, you know, um, after the Turkish invasion for 350 years, you know, it changed the, the Greek character. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a chapter called The Whispered Past, which everything about Greeks had to be whispered because the Turks didn't want them. Tales, book, places, we're going to talk about it. Um, the Turks uh, were diabolical characters, so the Greeks, had, in order to survive, had to teach their children in caves in, at night. Oh, wow. Um, they weren't allowed to teach the language. So priests were the ones who were, uh, who had been taking care of, of keeping the Greek culture alive. Uh -huh. And uh, that kind of, kind of infiltrated even with my own parents about whispering. Everything was whispering. You know, uh -huh. So that people don't hear that, that there's no um, um, scandal. You know, it's always that to always remember there's no scandal in the family and don't you bring it on. Things like that. So uh, years later, they, they decided because the brother of my mother's went to Australia and became quite wealthy in real estate. Uh, working with Do you know why, what, what, why Australia? Yes, because there, were, there was an assisted passage uh, to the United States, mm -hmm. to Canada, and to Australia. And because a lot of Greeks started to go to Australia because it was a new country, mm. and there was also because, you know, it's like the Chinese. It's like, you know, the Lebanese, it's like the Koreans. They all find their little city that mm. within the city. Right. And that's what the Greeks did. And um, so they took, you know, the labor force jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what city did they go to? Sydney. Uh-huh. And then they went up to Queensland. And mm -hmm. my father was a cane cutter uh, with a lot of working with Aborigines and, and a lot of immigrants. Sugar cane. Sugar cane. And, uh, and then they came to Australia. But he was in the labor force. Uh, and because of who he was and where he came from, it, it was tough on him. So those years, uh, the 40s and the 50s, were really tough because we were first generation. Mm -hmm. 
money was scarce. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother had to secretly take work in embroidery so she can put us through school. Why secretly? Because women at that stage, especially Greek women, were not supposed to work. They're supposed to take care of the household. So my mother used to go out the back way of the house and go to the factory and do embroidery work. And so she would come out and that would give us some extra money. And then, you know, what, Did your father approve or disapprove of this? No, he was fine about it. Okay. You know, um, because his money was not, not really. But there was only one relative we had that was really doing well. Didn't help. But uh, that's why we were first generation and they chose Australia. But you know, when you think about it, and I became an immigration official, uh, wow. I used to meet all the Greek immigrants, mm -hmm. and then uh, on, on the ships or uh, on airplanes, and then take them south to Adelaide or to Melbourne. And, uh, and then they would then, it took at least one generation for them to become part of the melting pot because we were dagos and wogs in those days, garlic munchers, you know, all those <laughs> lovely. Yeah, I was thinking in my mind, that's what I want to become. Okay. But did you go to college for that? No. No. 
when I finished when I finished high school mm -hmm. and I was going to go to college, mm -hmm. the trip came, the free trip with the Bellico Gloriga to go to Mexico. So I took that and really deep down I realized I took that trip because I wanted to get away from Greeks. Mm. Because everything about my life was Greek. You know, and Greeks had a lot of restrictions. This reminds me, have you seen, you've seen my big fat Greek wedding? Yes. Does I that, re you didn't like it? No. But, but that whole thing about being Greek, everything was about being Greek. So it's kind of what you're saying. It's an American version and, and, mm. and it was a bit common for my, you know, okay. because the way we were raised, I just thought it was very common. Hmm. Uh, uh, but just that, but just that, that essence of everything being Greek, everything being of Greek origin, every... The food was Greek, the language was Greek, the manners were Greek, the mm. conversation was Greek. Uh, you just go after a while, you just go, you know, I've had the Greek up to here, I want to find out who I am, and it's certainly not this. Because but in Australia, you must have been going to school with other, other... Yeah, I went to Greek school for five years at night, uh -huh. uh, because my mother couldn't speak English. Mm. So she sent us to school so we can come back. So in the home we spoke Greek. Uh -huh. And I did well at Greek school. And I'm very glad that I did it because I still speak Greek. And so when I go to Greece these days, and because of my series that I did, Mission Impossible, mm -hmm. it's very big in Greece. So they, they're very embraceful. So it's nice to be able to return the language. Absolutely. You know, makes a difference. Okay, so so in college, what 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 were you what was your plan? I didn't know. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll look at archaeology. I thought that was four years, plus I think a, a number of other years. And then my father used to say to me, you know, there's not much money in archaeology. You know, it's always about money. Mm -hmm. uh, God forbid, you know, we should listen to who we are. And... Well, I'm Jewish and it's the same thing. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I go to a lot of museums. I mean, the, the, the thing that really solidified it was I was 12. I go to the Australian Museum, mm -hmm. they have an exhibit, an Egyptian exhibit, also with Ramesses I, who had roamed the world for two, three hundred years in circuses, and nobody knew who it was until they were able to do... In circuses? Yes. It was like it was freak show. Uh-huh. You know, this big nose that he had and everything. It was like a freak show. So we're standing behind the ropes, mm -hmm. and we would look at it, and I'm thinking, oh my God, look at those nails, look at that hair. Oh my God, look at that nose. I want to go and touch that nose. And we weren't allowed to do it. So they closed the, closed the, the sarcophagus and we all of us you know, went out with our teacher. And I ran back in. I climbed over oh. the ropes. I opened the sarcophagus and I touched it. And with that, I got into trouble. I got came and I went back to school. And I thought, oh, well, my life just began. So that was the... But so you already had the curiosity of, oh, yeah. of, of art and artifacts and uh, yeah. all of that stuff. I mean... The, did your parents live to see yes. your collections? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's one like that nude one over there. My mother couldn't look at it because it was nude. You know. <laughs> so she would, I would say, Mum, take a picture over there. And then she realized that what was behind it. She'd go, no, 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 no. Don't take that picture. You know, so it's all about, you know, keeping the image correct. And she was a good mother. We, we, that's lovely. Mm. So did you, were you a little repressed in that way or did you go the opposite way as a result of being in, brought up that way? No, I thought that's what made me when I went to, it wasn't until I went to America I realized how, I mean the one thing that was beautiful was that I didn't have to, when I woke up in the morning I didn't have to be told you've got to be home at 8 o'clock, you can't go out tonight, mm. um, you have to study this, you study this. And I thought I can study whatever I want now. I don't have to go home at any time. It's my apartment. It was a one room on 33rd Street and... and 33rd uh, and what? And 
uh, between second and third. Uh -huh. um, it was abysmal, really. So you and were working at the UN? I worked for the UN for, I was getting $110 a week. To do what? To work with, with the minister. I was just a secretary, basically. Mm -hmm. But I was pretty high up in the grade in Australia. So when they hired me, mm -hmm. I kind of went down three grades. And then I had to deal with our prime minister, our minister, I should say, who was always drunk. And so, you know, they were big drinkers, the Australians, mm -hmm. and which they are. Um, and I remember going in a, and his wife would call or someone would call and I have to get him off the toilet because he was drunk. And it was all those embarrassing things. So one day I went in and I said, this is embarrassing. And he fired me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go back home, but I'm, I'm going to report this situation because, you know, I was wow. an official. And I said, this is not correct. It's a terrible image. And I said, I'm tired of getting you off the toilet. So I go back and I reported it and a bit of a problem came up. But I lasted eight days and they gave me a big grade up and I left um, and I said, I'm going to become an actor. And so I went, I studied uh, so I could support myself. Mm -hmm. I studied Chinese art, English 18th century art. Wow. Um, and then after I did that for two, three years as an apprentice at $75 a week. And then I went to Melodandre, Ron Melodandre, who was, who, when I went into his shop, which was on 56th Street between Lexington, no, Madison and and and, and Madison and Park Avenue, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember we had all the big actors that come in. Robert Redford in his clothes. Wow. Um, Lillian Gish, John, uh, John Gilgood. I, so I, I met a lot of people, and I remember Gilgood was really quite quite wonderful. Mm. He, he asked me, so what are you going to do with your life? And so I told him about acting. He gave me some wonderful advice, and he's and uh, because he Lillian Gish had come in, it was his birthday, and Lillian Gish said. Uh, I have to buy something for Sir John Gilgood. Could you please help me? And I said, yes. And I thought, he, he'd like a, a silk shirt, I would think. Pale blue would be a nice color. And she said, oh, okay. So I put it in the box, wrapped it up. Mm -hmm. And two days later, a Rolls Royce pulls up. And then I, I look up and I went, oh, Rolls Royce. That means sales. Hi, hi. <laughs> so in come, big hat. Kane mm. comes out of the car. Up comes and there's his face and I thought, oh my God, it's John Gilder. Oh my God, he's got the package with him. Oh my God, he's <laughs> he doesn't it. like it. He doesn't like it. So he comes to the study, goes, who's tail? I said, that's me, sir. And he goes, pale blue. <laughs> so we ended up having a wonderful conversation. What did he want instead? I gave him a navy blue. Oh. <laughs> Didn't change much, just changed the color. Mm -hmm. But you know, it was those experiences that were kind of wonderful. Wow. But in the gallery where mm -hmm. I worked, I. What I was blessed with, and I have a feeling someone was watching out of me, I, I mean, I worked with the best, like Robert Ellsworth, who was the leading connoisseur in, in, in antiquities in the United States. Mm -hmm. All his furniture now that he had collected of Ming, Chinese, period of the 14th century, are all at Metropolitan. Oh. And he was, he was quite the dick. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he'd give me piles of books and says, I want you to read these because in six months a, a shipment's going to come in. I want you to appraise it. And so I wow. learned about all the different kings from Queen Anne to George I, Second, Third, and so on. And so I learned how to look at French and, uh, and because I was a good in history, I knew all about the Georgian kings. And so that's how I started. And uh, out of that gave me, you know, when you learn something that is that has gravitas mm -hmm. to it, you know, your platform becomes that much stronger, I think. So I took that with me uh -huh. and one day, while I was, uh, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy came in. Okay, we have to hear this story. 
Well, yeah, How, firstly, firstly, where'd she come? Well, it was right after um, she had come from Greece, and she came. And there was nothing. What year? Off. She's married to um um. Onassis. Onassis Not yet. at this. Not yet. Oh, okay. So I was in the sort of uh, late sixties. Okay. Uh, but I remembered uh, how um, Claudia Colbert came in, oh. and Claudia wanted to have her Utrillo painting, or Utrillo, and uh, her Monet, because she lived in Barbados. She didn't want the the paintings to, because of the climate. So she wanted to make copies. So she brought them in to have them copied, and uh, I watched a woman paint the Monet for a month. But uh, wow. she said she looked at me. She says, she says to Bob. Why don't you ask the young man to join us for lunch? He's so pretty. And I'm going, <gasps> that I'm pretty go, really pretty. worked for you. Yeah. <laughs> it still does. It still even, does. even as the, as the old boy. Anyway, so, uh, she, and he said, no, I want you to stay oh. in this door because you never know who's going to come in. So I'm moping there and I'm, I wanted to pick up the phone and say, mother, guess what? <laughs> I'm going to get a lunch with... Claudia Colbert, can you believe it? Oscar winner and everything. Anything to impress that I was doing okay and that I wasn't just right. some, some apprentice. So I'm sitting there moping and then there's a knock on the door and then I opened it and there's Jacqueline Kennedy and two bodyguards. And so so when, you, when you didn't go for lunch and you stayed behind? Oh, I mean, how wow. many blessings can one I'm get I'm sorry. If that's not a God shot, oh, I don't know what fantastic. is. fantastic. Oh, my and God. So she <laughs> said, excuse me, I don't have an appointment because it can only come in by appointment. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, but I hear your sculpture from Southeast Asia is a wonderful collection here. Can I see it? And I said, of course. So she comes in and, and I said to her, would you like some tea? And, and, and I had made these Greek cookies called Kurambieles. And thereafter, so I call up stairs, the, the, well, this, my boss's assistant. I said, Masahiro, Japanese, Masahiro. Um, could you make tea for two and bring the Kurambiedis down with you? He goes, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> You're just an apprentice, you're telling me. I said, she's going past the Jacqueline Kennedy is here. And he goes, oh, sure, sure, sure. And he hangs up on me. And I'm going, how am I going to get around this? And so we have an elevator. And as she's going by, the elevator door's open and he's in his shorts, thinking that I was making a joke. And there's Jacqueline Kennedy going, he goes, Oh my God! And he races back in, goes upstairs, puts on his uniform, brings the silver tray, brings the the, the biscuits that I had cooked, and brings the 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 tea. And we sat there for an hour. And I you had tea with Jacqueline. How, how, how old are you? Twenty-one. And, and and she said to me, I told her there must have been about forty pieces of museum quality. Mm -hmm. So I knew. Every piece, I knew the dates of every piece, how much it cost, and what the history was behind it. And so I had her audience, and she said, "Tell me." You know? So I told her, told her, told her all about the stuff, and and she was, she, I remember she was wearing that blue hat, little pin hat or whatever it was, pillbox, pillbox hat, and a blue suit. And I said to her, um, when we finished, she said, "So where are you from?" So I told her about my Greek story and mm -hmm. all this, and she was very interested. So we had our tea left, and she goes, and she, "There was a piece there," and she says. $40,000. She said, you know, uh, then, and I said, uh, wow. she said, put a hold on that for me, will you? Uh, let me, and uh, I said, okay, fine. So she goes, and I'm going, <laughs> so the next thing I know is, an hour and a half later, my boss comes in, and he, as he comes in, because he was so arrogant anyway, I think that's where I learned. He says to me, anybody important come in? As he's going up the stairs, I say, yeah, Jacqueline Kennedy comes in, came in, and he goes, oh, sure, 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 and he goes up and closes his door. 
And I went, I don't think you believe me. Three weeks later, the phone rings. I was Jacqueline Kennedy. So my boss answers it. She says, yes, hello, this is Robert Ellsworth. She says, yes, this is Jacqueline Kennedy. She says, oh, I'd like to speak to your, your assistant, Teo. And he says, no, no, yes, that's fine, but I, I'm Robert Ellsworth. And she says, yes, but you understand, I want to talk to him. So he goes over the railing and his phone, he goes, it's Jacqueline Kennedy. So I hang up. He hangs up and gives me the phone and we talk to him, talk to him. By the time we finished talking, I went up to him and I said, I just saw a $40,000 head from um, Cambodia, it was. And he was like, why didn't you tell me? I said, I did, but you said that and then sure, 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 sure. All those years and every year. So one day I thought, well, I'd love to do the window with all this artwork and do it. And it really came out well. And my other boss said to me, lovely, lovely job you just did, Teo. And my boss comes in and he says, James, a lovely window. He says, oh, Teo did it. And he goes, oh, the next morning, come to work. It was all changed. It took oh, all done. So I realized where I stood with this man. Mm. But anyway, that was my, that was my story. Um, that's it was the beginnings, you know, and I think, I think to my, you know, part of, you know, if you want to see where you're going, mm -hmm. have a look at who crosses your path. Mm. That's nice. I like that. Christina, will we note that? <laughs> if you want to see where you're going, take a look at who crosses your path. Yes, because they're signposts. And so some people cross and we don't pay attention when, and they may not cross again for a while, so you miss opportunity. So I think it's very important. Do you think we miss opportunity? I mean, I, yes. I, I'm a fatalist and I believe that everything happens as it's supposed to in its time for a reason. Just the fact that you didn't go out to lunch with Claudine Corbert yeah. and that you got to meet Jacqueline and you had that experience. I, I don't think that's an accident. I think that's ordained in my view. That's just my view. Well, you know, the same thing happened to me when I was going to work, when they called me up and I was not available. They were doing a mini series in Europe with Omar Sharif. And, uh, with Omar Sharif. And so he, he, he was a, a real signpost in my life. Mm -hmm. because, uh, How so? Because when he came in, in his manner, you know, people who are really shy underneath have a kind of veneer about them. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, uh, um, good morning. He says, good morning. That was it. No question. Now, so, with, is this post Dr. Shivago? Is he already a huge star? He's already a huge star. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's called Memories of Midnight, it was a four hour mini series. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm in Zagreb in Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he says to me, um, comes in, and our first scene is he hits me, punches me out, and I supposedly go flying. And so he comes, and I'm in my suit, and he comes in and he says to me, Oh, by the way, when we do this scene, you see that 18th century table there? I said, Yes. He says, Please. Do not break it. It's been around for 300 years. Please be careful. I said, oh, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, if you hit me and I go flying, you and I have nowhere to go for the next four hours. So I'm gonna just, he said, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know, let's see. So um, I said. How I, old, I, wait, how old are you here? Well, I was in my 30s. He says, this is very ballsy, yeah. Right, this man. <laughs> um, and I went, oh, okay. So what does he do? <laughs> Slaps me so hard, you know. I, you know, I do my thing like this, and I just looked at him and I adjusted my jacket and fixed my tie and continued with the dialogue. And from that moment on, every day it was caviar champagne with Omar. <laughs> oh my <laughs> come, 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 God! Come, 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 come. 
So that know. was a very classy move. That did you? You had no idea what you were going to do. You just no, went I with didn't. It? You know, uh, those are the times where I think in the work, those spontaneous moments mm -hmm. that you're not expecting. Mm -hmm. um, even when I did altered stage with Ken Russell, who was the monster. Oh, please. Please talk about this. I, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Can I swear? Um, of course oh, you yeah, can swear. Okay. So Fuck it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, it was the first day of Altered States. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Ken Russell, it was 7 o'clock in the morning. All the actors were supposed to be drunk in the scene. And he, uh, Bill Hurt, mm -hmm. including Bill Hurt, they're all drunk. And he, Bill, Bill was kind of a drunk in those days. Yeah. Yeah. And so he said, uh, he said, the uh, director said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to drink at all. If they're all going to be drinking, I said, I'm going to be sober. It just get, made my character. Somehow I got the hook of where this character, who he was, just mm -hmm. by that choice. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're sitting around the table. And the next thing is, Paddy Chayefsky, who was one of our great mm -hmm. writers, mm -hmm. comes in. And oh, he came in? He came in. And he came to me and he whispered in my ear, I don't know where they found you. But you're exactly what I wrote. Stop! And I'm going, oh, oh, thank you. Because I have to be honest I just with you. When, it's okay, I'm used to it. Uh, I, because I remember having a rehearsal with Bill, and he goes, Is that how you're going to say it? I said, Why? Is that how you're going to say it? He said, You know, you're arrogant. And I said, Yeah, okay. So from the beginning, it was going to be one of those, What are you like? Are you worth being in my presence? You know, with that kind of attitude. So the next thing I know is, Chayefsky is being called by Ken Russell and calling, oh. Oh, can I say the C word? Yes! It says, so listen you, cunt. Get out of my stuff, my set. How dare you tell my, direct my actors. And he's trying to explain. Get Wait a minute, he's saying that to Paddy Chayefsky? Paddy Chayefsky. Get off the set, you fucking C. Oh and, my God. And then he turns back and goes, you're the fucking C. And then this, there are two adults going backwards and forwards. And I thought, you know what? This is over. I mean, who's going to survive this, you know? And Ken Russell, and he's gone now, but he was a terrible alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw that in Mexico. And he would attack everybody in some oh, way. He would, he, it was something like a Trump. He would attack everybody he didn't like mm. or would said something about him. And um, so Paddy Chayefsky left, never came back. Wow. Took his name off and gave a pseudonym on that, on that script. Wow! And we go down to Mexico, and I remember Bill and I got. Away. And it was all because of his relationship with. It was all because he thought coming on, because Ken Russell wanted mm -hmm. a private set. It was now his responsibility to take that dialogue off the page. Mm -hmm. But because he has these images of the way he sees things, mm -hmm. and and it was also a very interesting script. Uh, he said, he turned around and he just said to get off the set. So he, he stormed off the set and people thought, oh, well, this is it. We're not going to... Anyway, the next day we came back. Everything was fine. Pesciewski was off. Mm -hmm. And we started to work. And I remember we had to go down to Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to climb the mountain. And uh, I remember spontaneously, um, I said to Bill, would you give me... When I give him the water, we've been climbing for days. Mm -hmm. So I give him the water, and I said to him, we did the rehearsal, I said, could you pass me the water when you're finished with it? He says, what for? And I said, well, that's what you usually would do. It's my watering place. He said, what, are you going to drink from it as well? Is that how it's going to be? I said, I don't know. So he drank the water. He gives me the water. 
And out of the spontaneity, I pour it in my hand. I just did this to it, you know, because of the heat. Uh-huh. Well, it flipped Ken Russell. He just thought it was fabulous. And upset Bill Hurt, you know, I remember that time. Um, it upset him because you had a moment of brilliance? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Upstairs, the moment, I think. And, but, you know, and then, of course, you know, Ken Russell would uh, scream at people all the mm. time. He screamed at everybody. Wow. And I was the only one he hadn't screamed at. We had a good relationship. I also took care of his face because he had burned his, he drank two bottles of, of wine that day. And uh, he, these two hundred-year-old trees were standing. And he says, you know, cut these trees down. They're in the way. So they cut the trees down. He goes, well, you know, it's still in the way. So this is how we had to deal with. So now, you know, we had signed a, Patty Chase here, we weren't going to change any dialogue, which you understand. Right. So we don't. So the next thing I know is Ken Russell says, you know, that scene that you have coming out uh, of, of Chihuahua, it's too long. It was a page and something. Uh-huh. And he says, cut it. Let's cut it. I said, well, we were told we're not supposed to cut it. And I Paddy Chesky, and he said, Paddy Chesky. <laughs> and I went, all right. So he cuts and cuts, and I'm thinking, what does this mean now? You know, before it was explaining the whole issue about mm-hmm. transitions in life. And, and um, I couldn't get it. Uh, suddenly I went from knowing this page to cutting and putting in bits and he wanted me to do it right away. And I went, I can't remember it because it's not making sense to uh-huh. me now. So in my life I've never, I'm, you know, at work one day they called me one take tail. I did 30 takes because I couldn't get it. And he came at me with a wine bottle. Oh, my. Coming across this whole thing, and he goes, Why didn't you tell me you were a fucking out of town? And I'm standing there, and Bill Hurt moves away from me. Mm. He doesn't stand or support me, he moves away. So I'm standing there, and he's screaming and screaming. And I thought to myself, I think I'm going to punch him. I'm going to punch him right now. I'm going to kiss him. And, and we did the take. I did five perfect takes with him, and that. After we finished, mm-hmm. he came into our dressing room and applauded with Dom Perignon champagne, <gasps> saying how much it was worth it. And I thought oh, to myself, no. you put us through all of that. It doesn't matter how much you humiliated the person. Mm-hmm. You got the performance. And so, so you know, uh, mm-hmm. now I'm in Australia hosting my first talk show. Mm-hmm. And my first guest um, after Dame Edna is Ken Russell. <gasps> live by satellite from Melbourne. He was there to direct. How much later is this? Oh, this is like 15, 18 years later. Uh-huh. So he, and because, you know, all the stage became a classic. And so he, he says, I said to my producer, oh my God, Ken Russell, he's a monster. <laughs> and he said to me, what's the problem? So I told him, he says, listen, if he creates any problems to you, just turn the camera and say, now to, now we cut to commercial. <laughs> And I went, oh, that's nice. I mean, I'm the host of the show. I suppose I could say that. Cut to commercial if he said anything. Yeah. So he comes on and he goes, hello, Teo. Wasn't that a great time we had in doing Altered States? And you and Bill were just wonderful in your performances and all this. And I'm going, huh? I mean, you tell me that when we were working. Anyway, so it turned out to be brilliant. Okay, did you... Ha- uh, that is an unbelievable film. Did you have any idea... When you were making it, how important that film was? Did you have a sense? No, I had just done two films. Uh, Where did, what was your first film? My first film was Slow Dancing in the Big City with John Avelson, who had just finished Rocky, won mm-hmm. the Oscar for Rocky. Mm-hmm. So 
and next we have a slow dancing and I was because I was in New York and Rocky won the best picture and best director and best director yeah and now I'm in New York with mm-hmm. Kinsella's doing a play that um, uh, Patty no, um, Jules Stein and Joseph Kipnis are producing mm-hmm. and it's uh, we improvised in workshop and took it to New York and they bought it wow so they saw me in that mm-hmm. and Alison saw me that's a called me in for the movie mm-hmm. so my first audition and I wow. went in and I did the audition and John Allison said to me can you wait he read two other people and then he came to me and says you've got the job and he said can you start Monday I said uh, sure and I remember going out on Park Avenue and I buckled to the floor of the ground I, I couldn't believe it my first you know what it is Yes. What's it like to get your first play? Okay, okay wait. So let's talk about that because you're you're 23 when you decide you're going to be an actor and you stand up the first time in your no, wood. My, yeah, it took it's, me eight years to get my papers to stay in the country. Okay, so wait. So what are you doing during... So so you, the first thing you stand up, you're wood. You're, no, you, you, you're told you're no good. How does that... Who did you study with? What happened? After Mary Tarsay, yeah. that was two years. I became the best student. That's how hard I worked. After, after being told and being embarrassed, you know, that's what you have to tell me, and <laughs> I'm going to show you. And that's what I did. And yeah. then the next thing I know, um, I'm Milton, mm-hmm. and then I studied with Milton for over 30 years. And, wow. Um, and so when I went in for the audition... I love that, that you kept studying, even though you were working I kept actually. studying. I'm still studying. I love you that. You know what I mean? It's, it's a continuous... I, I think, you know, it's like any athlete, you still need to sharpen your tools. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people who just think, you know, oh, I know uh, you know, uh, writing is also part of your craft, and mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's all about how do you expand uh, that's the, that which is in front of you, and how do you then let the dialogue that's on the page that this writer has taken time to create, how do you take that off the page so that the writer says, I didn't expect that, that's a great moment, you know. So those are the things. I love your spontaneity. I love the fact that you trust yourself enough to not know where you're going and just go there. Right. That, well, because that's that's everything. That's being present in the moment. Right, right. And, uh, and also, um, once you know, you've gotten over the fear of living in New York and having so little money and surviving and, um, and not getting into trouble, do you know what I mean? I mean, uh, no, not the drugs, mm-hmm. not, uh, uh, you know, I remember a lot of the people going to class were oversexed in those days because of the sexual revolution from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like a bit of an altar boy in many ways. I, uh, well, you had a very well puritanical. Well, was like, yeah, yeah you had that upbringing. Ma- don't embarrass the family. Mm-hmm. That was always ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it was. And Allison was a wonderful director. He mm. was so, so sweet, and he taught me things uh, that because I didn't know it. Okay, wait. Before you get to the that first film, what's your first paying job as an actor? Stage, I assume. Yes, um, I worked at the Gethin in Play with Fire, and then I was going to work um, at the Amundsen with. Uh, so wait, so you're out here? Wait, I thought you were in New York. So. I'm in New York, and I come out. I do my, I do, uh, after the play of Jockeys that I was doing in New York, where I played the choreographer. Mm-hmm. Um, after that closed, um, we were all broke. All the actors were broke because. We didn't know what we were going to do. Everybody just left us. And we'd stand and they'd say, what are we going to do? And they'd say, I don't know. And someone said, I'm going to go back to California. And I said, well, a friend of mine is dying and I've got to be there for them. And if, it, if I'd gone back to California, I may have missed 
opportunities. This is again another opportunity that that hit was when um, they saw me in the play in Chalkies, mm -hmm. and John. They were doing uh, a modern revival of um, Shakespeare's play. Um, oh, don't tell me I'm having a geriatric moment. <laughs> uh, Shakespeare's play of, of you know, Pound of Flesh. Um, uh, the the Jewish story. Yeah, with Shylock. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, anyway, so um, I went on the stage, mm -hmm. and while I'm ready to go on, someone said to me, "Do you do you know who who's working here doing Equus at night?" I said, "Richard Burton, right?" And they said, "Yes." So suddenly it dawned on me. I thought, "Oh my God, Richard Burton's on the stage at night." You know. Wow. So I took that in. Uh huh. You know, you you in order to be present, you must take in all the elements so that you become part of it mm -hmm. rather than being something that is trying to find its way through you become part of the whole ambiance and mm -hmm. then you use that energy mm -hmm. so i remember i had four callbacks and then i remember john yes no not john this one because i heard he was a dick <laughs> he ran up on the stage and he said where the fuck have you been i said oh i've been you know i've been training a long time because I couldn't you know, work as an actor, and uh, so he said, "I want to see you back." So anyway, four, four times, came down to the last two. Mm -hmm. I went to the other guy, and I went, "Okay." And the next thing I know is uh, I'm being brought up for slow dancing in the big city, and then after that, the bell jar, and then I thought, the was, <sighs> "Sylvia Plath is yes. my goddess." Yeah, I thought, yeah, she was. That was an interesting movie to shoot. Mm. Uh, was it? I played a rapist. I raped the leading lady in the movie. Did it, had to learn the tango, had to do a tango with her, and um, and then I, I took her in the bushes and started to rape her. And I saw that movie when they're very. I, I have to go yeah, back and watch it again. So so you so you raped Sylvia Plath. Nice. Yeah. What can I say? I was versatile. <laughs> um, oh, that's why people say, God, you know, you're not. You're a nice person. You're not so dark. Um, I don't know why villains are easy for me. Is that I, so? I think it's because I enjoy upsetting people. <laughs> and then it's fine because it's just on a take, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. You know, it's, it's part of me that's mischievous. Uh, also, I like to stir people up because I find them too comfortable. And they're too comfortable and surely I say, oh, I'll stir this one up. And so I, I do that, especially with actors, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay about that. So, so are you tough on a set because you're, you're keeping people on their toes? Like a... No. Um, there's one thing Milton Katsalas taught me is, you know, when you come on the set, you step on that set, mm -hmm. you're on time, mm -hmm. know your lights, please know your dialogue. Mm -hmm. they, give you, they give you one rehearsal and then you do a take. And I found that I must be an example mm -hmm. of what I came, where I came from. Mm -hmm. um, at first, you know, I felt that uh, they were rushing and rushing and I was difficult in the beginning. I was playing two characters. Uh, on Days of Our Lives. Um, I watched. I was. I was a fan. I watched every day. Really? Never met. We didn't have VCRs in those days. Maybe we had VCRs soon. But as a matter of fact, yes, because I remember I used to record it every day, and then I would, and then I would watch it. But yes, I was a big fan, and I watched. Well, it was a very day. Anglo show in those days. When I arrived, the mm -hmm. cobwebs were still there, <laughs> and I looked around. and I went, Oh my God! The, the, the way they dress and. <laughs> just so old-fashioned and, and dated and 
And so I remember one of the leading ladies came out to me and she goes, um, we just saw your movie. I said, oh, which one? She said, Altered State. And said, we enjoyed your bit. That's how it started. I said, my bit is just darling, that's how we see it. So that was Susan Hayes, who mm. was a toughie in those days. Mm. I love her now. I mean, mm. But she wrote in the book, and because I turned around and I said to my director, get the stage manager, get this bitch out of my face. I just <laughs> arrived, you know, it's from another night flight from Australia. So I was tired to be confronted with that. I thought, really? That's your best that you can share with me? And so she, I called her a name, which I won't go into now, but even though it's in print. And I remember, it is, yeah. yeah she's, I was sitting out uh, in the hallway on the floor because we were doubling up in the dressing rooms. And she sits down and she's crying. She says, nobody's ever called me that name. And I went, oh, well, that's a surprise. <laughs> so from that moment, we hit it off. You know, is she it the C word? Yeah, and and uh, and we didn't, you know, from that moment on, I didn't allow anybody to think that, especially a woman, um, because of my Greek upbringing, mm -hmm. you don't embarrass a man in front of. Oh. So when that came up, you know, I just, you know, you have to know how to zip it at the butt. So I had to do. It. I, I did it. So, uh, but you know, on set, you know, I had a great relationship with my producers and, and the writers, and, and it's been. How, how did that happen? How did how did you make the decision? Because you're you're making movies, you're doing theater. How did you make the decision to be on a soap opera? What well, was that about? Sometimes I think that was not always the best decision. I sometimes. don't know. You seem to have done pretty well yeah, with it. Yeah, but I had other things too. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what it is? Uh, when I finished Altered State. Uh, uh, Yes, when I finished Altered State mm -hmm. and the reviews came out mm -hmm. and I was being called to come in and people wanted me because they didn't know where I, you know, where have you been, you know. And, uh, and then the next thing I know is we had the longest strike in SAG history. Oh. Nine months. So there's no work. So, you know, that's, you know, actors, you know, that's why we 1% work. Uh, and I thought, I'm tired of being poor, you know. The jobs that I got before, they paid nicely, but you know, one job in the next six months, and then right. you wait for another. And, and because in those days, did you do other work when no. you were acting? You oh, you were always able to I've earn your living. Always earned my living as an actor. Wow. I've never take any except wow. in the beginning when I was studying, which I had no choice. Right. But never again. Wow. The other thing was working with Mulder Catellus mm -hmm. as his assistant. Mm -hmm. He paid me an apprentice's price, and mm -hmm. then I turned to him one day and I said, "You know, I'm making the class so much bigger." And you're making so much more money, time to share. And so he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I think, you know, you should give me a, a, an increase in salary uh, so I can keep going. And mm -hmm. I, anyway, without going into what he said, I got it. And <laughs> that also supported me. Mm -hmm. And then when I, the next thing I know is they called me in General Hospital. And that's when Liz Taylor that year came on. Oh, as, my. As my sister-in-law. And uh, so I went on. And so wait, General Hospital was your first before Days of Our Lives? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Cassidines. At least in both soaps, I played the families, the Cassidines in GH okay. and the Demera Sundays. Well, I started the Demera Sundays. I was the first one. And then Joe came afterwards. Okay, but that's what I was going to say, because I know you from Days of Our Lives. Yeah. But, okay. so, so, but what was interesting about GH is Gloria Monty, who was this big, mm -hmm. she would come down the fiercest, toughest broad I have ever <laughs> met in my life. Like she'd go to an actor and she'd say, you see my pencil? If you don't behave, I'm gonna break it right next to your name and you are 
That's how she stood. And the actors used to get all nervous. The, the directors used to put their hands in front of their crutch because they felt like the balls were going to be cut off. You know? So she was a tough cookie. But she knew what she was doing. She, she wow. elevated daytime to where it was with the, with the Luke and Laura story. Mm -hmm. and, oh, gosh. And she said, she said, you know, I like the actor, but he's got that foreign accent. And uh, we're, we're this, uh, you know, soaps are American. So that was it. And then they hired an actor who wasn't very good. And mm -hmm. they said, you know, let's keep it sad because he's weak. With John mm -hmm. Colicos, who was one of Burton's best friends. Mm -hmm. And we need another, you know, bring the other actor in. Let's make him more of an international kind of a character. So I came in. She was so wonderful to me. So they had 30 actors that summer. And they fired all that, killed all those actors except me. Wow. And she said, so one actor I remember saying, yeah, I said, he's coming and he's crying. He's playing my brother. And I said, what's the matter? She said, they're just going to kill me off. I don't see it. It's finished. I'm going. You're next. I said, oh, okay. Well, I didn't expect any more. It was three months. Mm -hmm. But at least I made three months of salary, which was great. So I go in and she goes, hello, darling, sit down. And I said, hello. And she goes, so what's it like to be the only actor who's going to survive this, this storyline? And I said, oh, that's nice. And I said, um, she said, we're going to bring you back. You have to go to prison because of what you've done, all the bad things you've done, you know. So, so I go, the next thing I know is, I go out and then Andre Lanzat, it was, the actor, and he said, so when do you finish? I said, I'm not. I said, I mean, what? What? What do you mean? They're not going to kill you? I said, no, they're not. So the next thing I said to my agent, would you find out when I'm going to go back, you know, because Pat Fulton Smith, who was the head writer for GH, was going out for Days of Arrive. And she says, just tell Teo to wait. So then Pat Holton Smith, so they call me into Dave's and I test with um, an actress on the show. And um, next thing I know is they offered me the part. And I said, oh, so she got glory money. was really furious. And then there was a, a magazine that came out and the headline was, the actor that got away. So I got away from Gloria Monty because nobody ever got away from Gloria Monty. So, um, so that was it, and then I started with days, and then I was on daytime, and then the next thing is, I'm playing Tony DeMera, and they're looking for a father, and I said, you know what, there's an actor I was studying with called John Moscola in workshops. Oh, that was lovely. Yeah, I said, he, he and I get along really well, he could be my father, even though Joe said, I'm too young to be your father, <laughs> and then I find out years later that he lied about his age. Oh, really? Yeah. It totally, my father. it totally worked. Yeah. Well, part of that was we already did our homework in workshop. Mm. You know, we mm. knew each other's personalities. Mm. Anyway, so... Um, that was a great clip that a, a fan put on your page, on your Facebook page, which I then posted again today of, of you two doing oh, a scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. lovely. Yeah, sad. You have that nice moment in your, at the end. And yeah, with my father. Yeah. Well, you know, in many ways, it's the father. I played all the things that my father didn't give me. I didn't, you know, you don't let those emotions as an actor or writer, uh, you don't let those emotions waste away. Mm -hmm. You find pockets of those and save them. And then you recall them. And then you're able to put that and personalize in the scene so that it has some depth, you know. I'm always looking for layers. Do you have, do you have a process? Or is it always different? Or do you have a process that you use when you act? Because it sounds like you're very present in the moment. Yes, you know, firstly, because uh, I studied also with Stella Adler for mm -hmm. three years, um, 
I, I, I would look at the script and read it over through quickly and see what it is and whether I like it or not. Try to not place a judgment on it because then you're stuck with it. Mm -hmm. So you just are open to it. And so then you add. And then every time you read through it, you add another layer. And then you write notes like I do. I write notes and then I... Are you inside out or outside in? Uh, once I dress then the outside takes care of what the inside has mm. already gone through. Because mm -hmm. I always believe that we manifest that which has already changed within us, physically. We manifest that which has already changed, changed within, within us. us. Which is then physicalized. You know, if I was going to put it in crude terms, if you had a pimple. Yes. Well, the blood's dirty. Mm -hmm. So what happens to the blood, it services, it's got to go somewhere. And it becomes a pimple. That's the physical of what was going on inside the body, mm -hmm. you know. So, to me, it's when I was changing this house, when mm -hmm. I was painting this house recently, and you don't even know it's doing because I firstly I bought a t the the chairs, those Ampere chairs, and I said, oh, and then I bought the table, and then I bought the mirror, and then I saw that painting, and I thought, what am I doing, you know, trusting the process that because as someone said, what did you win the lottery? And, you know, usually, it's how people reveal themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of someone saying, oh, how lovely, you know, mm -hmm. I love the people. What well, are you in the lottery? They always tell you they, they're not excited about it, that you've had the ability to get it. Or, or that it. they're jealous or they're envious. Jealous, yeah. you know, so, mm -hmm. um, and so I, and basically, I, I, I realized something had changed within me from mm -hmm. what I've been through this past year because they've killed me off seven times on the show. <laughs> And somehow they always bring me back. And, uh, Have they really killed you off seven times? What do you think I'm joking? Seven times? You think this is not a serious conversation? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what it's like to die seven no. times? Oh, how show? do they keep bringing you oh back seven God. times? Well, how do they bring you back? How do they bring magic. you back? Magic. Um, well, the, the, you know, oh God, I don't want to get to all that. I mean, each death was different, and, and usually they killed you up when some head rider, you hook them in some way, or, or they think because you, where you play your character, you're too cocksure yourself. Yeah. And you're going, I'm just playing a part, you know. But they think that's who I think I am. And then, of course, you get actors who then go and whisper and tell producers and all that that I've been saying the scripts are crap. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, the one thing I understand because I am a writer, mm -hmm. I never, I mean, I can understand when a scene's not very good, but I don't go around telling people. Right. I say, okay, how do I make this better? Instead of complaining about it, mm -hmm. then let's make it better. Mm -hmm. Let's give them something they didn't expect. That's what I look for. And so when I went through this house and mm -hmm. made the changes, I knew then something's going to happen because I have just, I have just changed within and it's manifested in my home base. Because this house, in the 17 years that I've lived here, has never looked like this before. Yeah, for those of you who cannot see it, which is all of you, it is, except for Christina and I, it is magnificent. And every square inch is covered with just the most gorgeous, I want to hear about, what was your first artifact? What's the first thing you bought? Oh, it was given to me by my boss, uh, Robert Ellsworth. Mm -hmm. And, um, he said, I'm going to give you, um, because you're an apprentice, I'm going to give you a piece of art, and this is your first piece. And it was 
It was uh, a lithograph by a very famous Japanese artist called Fujita. And um, it's just around the corner there. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, uh, because I saw what he had, mm -hmm. and you know, in many ways, as poor as I was in mm -hmm. New York, mm -hmm. uh, I think because uh, I had a sense of humor, I looked a certain way, I was always a, you know, people are looking for a nice addition at the table, so, or someone to flirt pretty. with you. Pretty, yes. Um, and so, you know, I went to some extraordinary homes, mm. and I saw people's tastes, mm. the way they presented food on the table. I'd go in the kitchen and watch the chef and wonder how he put that together and ask questions. Um, it was, it's all a learning process. Mm -hmm. You know, when people say, oh, when I was, I didn't have the opportunity, they're all they're making. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, oh, you were lucky. I said, oh, really? That's mm -hmm. what it is? Do you think it's luck? Or mm -hmm. do you think it's being prepared? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, opportunity you, meets preparation. That's luck, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I went to, to Jerusalem for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, it was Christmas Eve. And I remember Palestinian uh, cab driver waiting outside the Dan Hotel, and I said, excuse me, I'm gonna to go to Bethlehem. Can you take me? He says, yes. I said, can we meet at seven? Yes. So he gets me in the car, and then he stops, and he says, oh, this, I can't go any further. This van's gonna take you into the next area. And I said, oh. So I go into the van, and there are some men in there, and, and they're being very gracious, and all this, and then I started thinking, well, well, why is this, why can't I just go straight in? Mm -hmm. What's another car? And the next thing I know is there's a flashing of a light, and I can go in there. I said, another car? And I said, yes, we'll explain that. So I get in the other car, and in comes my guide. And he says, how do you do? So nice to see you. You are my first business in three years. He says, we have been struggling here, and it's so nice to have somebody come and who's interested to be with Palestinians and to be in this area. And so uh, he takes me to the Church of the Nativity, and, mm -hmm. and uh, there are uh, soldiers standing out, military, and uh, Jewish, uh, and they said, Sorry, the church is closed. I said, hey, it's Christmas Eve. It's Greek Orthodox Church. How could you close it? They said, I'm sorry about that. I said, no, you don't understand. I came all the way from the United States, and I want to go into this church. I said, you know, this is not, you know, I've given job to get over here. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, he said, no, so I brummed with the, the, the guns, and I went. So the guy said, come, 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 come. I'm so sorry. Come, come. So we go, and I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I'd like to have a drink. I said, but you're a Muslim. He says, I don't care. I want a drink. So what happens? We go and have two scotches each. So now I'm really full. So now I'm ready for confrontation. I said, okay. He says, they're not going to let you in. I said, I have to. I have to do it. I'm not going to come all this way and not get into the church. So I go in. And then I'm standing there. And there they are with their rifles. And I said, excuse me, I'd like to get in. Then suddenly a monk comes out. And a monk is smoking profusely. And I thought, oh my God, he's... God's not talking to him. It's smoking away uh, profusely, and I think, you know, and then suddenly he turns around and looks at me and goes, oh, Mission Impossible. No, stop! Said, Mission Impossible, I said, yeah, he says, you're Greek. I read your Greek. I said, yeah. He goes, so stop talking to me in Greek. He says, what are you doing here? I said, I want to come in. I want to come in into the Church of Nativity. So he says, well, come. He says, well, they won't let me in. He says, excuse me, he says, this is a, this is a pilgrim. I thought, I've never been called a pilgrim before. That's a nice, nice kind of sound to it. And he, they, they said, no, no. He, said, ah. he went like this. Ah. And I thought, I love that about the Greeks. You know, when they want to mean something, the hand goes up. <laughs> Look and, at the hand, yeah. You know, and this little door opens, and I go in. 
usually there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people waiting in line for hours. Right. I go in, they close the door, and he said, you sit here for as long as you like. Because he says, you know, you gave me such pleasure. Because when I was studying, I had one hour a week while I was studying um, philosophy and, and, uh, and the religion. And so I said, okay, he says, but stay as long as you like. I stayed over an hour. I went to all the different sections where the child was born. And all that. I spent my time oh. and I thought it was just wonderful. Two years later, oh, and the guy said to me, my guy said, how did you do that? I said, it's opportunity mean, uh, meets, opportunity meets. Perseverance. No, it's perseverance meets opportunity. Is that what it is? And then, I, I think so. Yeah. And I said, and that's what happened. And I go to Greece two years later and I'm sitting in a cafe and I'm watching that. And I love to look at people. You mm -hmm. know, being an actor, I like to look at behavior. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at, and there are two monks, beards down to here and the black and I thought, God, and what are they drinking? Oh, and they stood on there smoking. Um, what are they drinking? And he turned around to me and he said, hello. I looked at him and I said, hello. You don't know? He said, you don't remember me? I said, no. He gets up and gives me such a hug and he says, I am the monk who let you into the church of nativity. <laughs> so you talk about opportunities wow. in life. So, you know, it's all, it's all those things that I feel I've been blessed with. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't, I'm not a thief. I don't. I'm not a very good liar. I mean, I may tell a small fib not to hurt somebody, mm -hmm. but somehow, if your ethics—I always go to ethics. Mm -hmm. You don't have to look over your shoulder if your ethics are in. Liars and cheats always have to look over their shoulder. Always have to re say these stories, and it's always changing because it's a lie. Mm -hmm. you know, people. You're a very straight shooter. Straight shooter. Mm -hmm. Because then you'd have to repeat yourself, and why waste time? You know. And if you can't do it with, own, with what you've brought into life, then you are, you're on the wrong path. So this is a lot of your, your upbringing, your Greek upbringing, is, was that ethical? Yes, all those things I ran away from. Mm -hmm. Little did I know in those days that this was the base of my foundation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Was... So where does, what is, how did they name you Teo? Why, why Teo? You know, this is, I'm going to reveal something I've never... When I was in New York, I met this woman who was a numerologist, astrologist, mm -hmm. and she came to me and she says, the way your name is written, it's not going to give you the success you want. <gasps> Someone told me the same thing. So she went and re-spelt my name. Okay, so what was the original spelling? T-H-E-O. Theo. Yeah. Or Theodosis in Greek. And... I so she changed your name? She changed <gasps> it. She put the two A's in and she said, and you watch, she said, success will come to you forever in your life. <gasps> you will be a long distance runner. Wow. And then that's, so that's why I did and so I stayed with it. Now I've got to go to the DMV next week with, <laughs> on the passport is one name and on oh, my, <laughs> the, uh, my driver's license and how am I going to explain it to them? How do I explain this to them? Well, so what have you I have to face that? it. Yeah. I have to face it after all these years. Well, you, mean, you haven't had to explain it all these years? You've, no, no, because in my Australian passport, it also said, you know, you put that Theo in and then it said, no, and also as. Mm. But then they don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So now that I've got two new passports, they're both of that name. But if I'm going to go with my driver's license to the DMV, it's not going to be the same. Your driver's license is? Theo. Wow. No, driver's license is Teo. Teo. 
and the password says fifty. So that's what I have to explain next Monday. I can't wait. <laughs> DMV. <laughs> I mean, you know. But I so I, I love that though that she did that and um, it's had the it, it said, yeah yeah. I, it, did something? Did anything shift when she changed your name? What what stage were you at in your life when she changed your name? Mm, a very insecure stage. How old were you? I think late twenties. So not you'd not already you'd already been acting. Uh, y yes, it was just before all that. Oh. Uh, uh, so you when you joined the union, were you Theo or Teo? Teo. Mm. But spelled you know, and also the way it happened was when I went with the Ballet Folklorico with Amalia Hernandez in Mexico City, mm. which I love that company. And uh, she said, ah, oh, Teo, Teo. And she looked at my name, she said, Teo, Teo. And I said, oh, that's better than Theo. So I said, oh, okay. So when I came to America, I said, oh, my name's Teo. And then she said, and I spelled it T-A-O. And she said, no, you can't either that. What were you born with? And she said, okay, we've got to change that. So then she changed the whole thing and then did the difference in the spelling. But now, over the years, you say to myself, why can't it be more simple than that? Because they say, how do you spell that? How do you pronounce that? Where are you from? Are you a foreigner? You know what I mean? It's well, just complicated only, things. You're the, I've never seen that name. I've never seen that before or since. Right. You're the only one I've, that I know. I've seen a couple of German shepherds. Oh, okay. People said, oh, my dog's named that, too. Oh, oh, really? That way? Oh, yeah. Teo, that's my dog. Oh, that's nice. Here I thought, you know, because the name uh, that my mother gave me was, you know, um, the gift of God, means in Greek. Theodosis. Theo, meaning God. Dosis, which means gift, to give. And, uh, nice. Yes, yeah. What does Teo mean? Dog. <laughs> <laughs> German Shepherd. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so now you have another passion, which is food and, and yeah. cooking. How did that How did that happen? When did that? Was your mother a good cook? No. Oh, wow. She said, my father, when I'd go home, he mm -hmm. says, oh son, would you cook it for us tonight? <laughs> hint, hint, hint. Uh, because I, I, you know, I'd go out and I'd buy expensive things, you know. They're, they're being, you know, elderly, you know, they're just, but I would bring home things. Mm. I'd go to a real good store and stores and buy and, and improvise, mm -hmm. you know. I, I, like, it's like sometimes uh, I haven't prepared anything for dinner and I get, so I'll open the fridge and I'll say, oh, okay, what do I make? So I see what ingredients are in there and I'll work them. Okay, so now how did that, that has to come from somewhere. Like how, when did you, when did you discover you had that? I think it's like everything that? else, you know. It's a matter of knowing without tasting something. By looking at it, you get a sense of how it tastes. Mm -hmm. And then when you want to mix it with something else, then you say, oh, those two things together, how would they taste? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you don't put salt in coffee. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it just won't make the flavor good. Sugar, yes, because it elevates it. Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing with food. Mm -hmm. If you understand the fabric of, of, of the food, mm -hmm. if you enjoy it, mm -hmm. that's the other thing. You know, people cook for you and everything, and you know they're not l loving it. When people don't love presenting you with food or, you know, just it's a, a chore, then it's not going to work very well. With everything in life. Yeah, it becomes mediocre. Mm -hmm. um, but... I, 
to me. It's about it's like my work. It's about everything I do. I want to present my best. Mm -hmm. I don't like uh, I don't like being shortchanged. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like people taking me for granted. And um, and you know you get mixed messages from people, but I don't let anybody through that door. That um, if anybody comes by accident and someone brings somebody that's got negative energy to mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. or they're looking around, I'm not liking the way they're looking, or huh. I will get the, after they leave, I will get sage and I will burn sage in the house or um, frankincense. I will burn to clear the energy. Out I don't know about frankincense, but I have sage. Yeah, frankincense is wonderful. Okay. Because that's what we do in the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm. So, you know, food to me is, you know, it's also, as I say in the book, it, in my cookbook, is, is food to me is seductive. Okay, so how did that passion, when did that passion, if your mother wasn't a good cook, when did you, how did you develop your palate? When did that start to happen for you? I think when I had to cook for myself in New York, mm. uh, and without having too much money, I would see what I could buy that would stretch for the next few days. Mm -hmm. So I specialized in soups. Mm. I thought soups are a great you, nourishment. You and they're that. easy to make with a salad. Okay. If you want to keep slim, mm -hmm. um, soup and salad is Perfect. the best thing for dinner. Because, you know, they say, you know, you, you at breakfast you eat like a king, for lunch you eat like a prince, and at, for dinner you, have, you eat like a pauper. So wow. those three things, if mm. you keep them, uh, helps you. So I have a good breakfast. I don't usually have too much for lunch. Like what do you have for breakfast? Um, a lot of times I will do my, uh, I, I will do my watermelon juice mm. uh, first up. And then I will do... What's in your watermelon juice? Just watermelon Just watermelon, juice. okay. Yeah, I'll put that in the blender, I'll get mm -hmm. it seedless, mm -hmm. and whip it up, and that's my first. Then I will get a yogurt, mm -hmm. and then I will take it out of its container, because it's even funny, I must curl it out, so when it falls on the plate, it's it's round and looks attractive. <laughs> food has also got to look attractive. I you love that. What, you know what I mean? So then I put, I've got this uh, avocado honey that I love. So mm. I'll put the avocado honey on top, then I'll get sunflower seeds raw and pour that on top and it keeps the honey from spreading across the plate. Mm -hmm. And then I will put blueberries all the way around and, um, and that becomes the breakfast. On occasion when I want to be bad, I'll have a pastry. Okay. You know, if I go to air one. He says it like he's saying something <laughs> evil. <laughs> I have myself a pastry. Uh, pastry. And I think myself, and a banana uh -huh. uh, for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then for lunch, you know, I'm doing my work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm working at the studio, because you're using a lot of energy, you need to eat something. Mm -hmm. But and there's craft services. What do you do with that? No, we don't have craft services. Oh, okay. No, no. The uh, we were part of the the great period where they lavished actors with wonderful foods and things. Now the only thing they give us is coffee and tea. Really? That's it. Oh. And so I think. Uh, then you've got to understand the mm -hmm. body you have. Because when you're shooting, and mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was going through a bad period mm -hmm. of where my stomach was being bloated. Mm. And it looked like I was putting weight on, and I didn't. So I went to a Chinese doctor, and mm -hmm. she told me about the bloating. And she told me that uh, you know, I'm allergic to certain foods as mm -hmm. we get older and all this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I'm working, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the female actors, they don't eat lunch because mm -hmm. they don't want to look bigger. Right. 
So uh, sometimes, you know, you eat things that are not going to expand the stomach. Like? Such as? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just, I guess tell me what those go, things are, what, please. What is it? And then I, I tell you what helped me. It was having, um, what do you call them? Um, uh, what makes the... the... Bullion. No, no. What makes you settle the food properly? Enzymes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I will do my enzymes and uh, but you know for what like i can't have bread mm -hmm. that'll expand it yeah mm -hmm. uh, so i'll just do you know a couple of boiled eggs mm -hmm. and that's what i have for mm -hmm. lunch i'll mm -hmm. take that for lunch mm -hmm. or i will take just some but you're supposed to eat like a prince at lunch not me okay. i can't mm -hmm. uh, i've never been a big lunch person mm -hmm. even when we go out for lunch and meet people for lunch mm -hmm. but i'll take like nuts and and, mm -hmm. and things like that mm -hmm. uh, to give me protein. Mm -hmm. But then when I come home, um, you know, and I've got too many lines, the soup's ready. Okay, so like what kind of soup? So so you don't make cook from recipe, I assume? No. Okay, so so take us through a soup. Pick a soup. like. Okay, um, lentil. Okay. Or, or the white, the white bean. Okay. Northern bean. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll soak the northern bean overnight mm -hmm. to get all the gaseous stuff out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll drain it. And then I'll get a whole chicken, okay. organic chicken, mm -hmm. and I will boil that till there's nothing left in the chicken, right. but just right. pulp. Right. Then I discard the chicken, and okay. then I've got all this broth. And then I will put in um, some spices, like I will put cumin in, mm -hmm. curry, mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then some olive oil, mm -hmm. and then I will put the beans in. And sometimes I like it with shiitake mushrooms, or I like it with chard, mm. or chopped chard. And then I cook that, and... Um, How long is this whole cooking process? Mm, the soup, an hour. That's not bad. Beans. Mm -hmm. uh, the lentils... How long do you cook the chicken until it's mush? Oh, good hour. Okay, at least. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I just discard, because it's got nothing left in it, really. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, the penicillin, as mm -hmm. we know in Jewish... Well, oh, yes, we know. So it's the penicillin. So mm -hmm. uh, then I will get little bags and I will fill the soups and then I freeze them. Nice. So that when I come home and I've got, you know, 30 pages to learn tonight, then I um, get the soup out when I'm leaving in the morning so mm -hmm. it would be possible when I come home. And then from there, um, in the lentil, I will certainly do it with shiitake mushrooms. I will use the same spices. I love cumin and I love curry. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes I'll put a stick of butter in just to enrich it. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, if you want to, sometimes I will take vegetables, mm -hmm. fresh vegetables that I do mostly every day, mm -hmm. and, and I'll juice those vegetables. And then I use that broth, mm -hmm. I'll save it for the soup. So if I don't have a chicken, I will use that fresh vegetable broth, oh, nice. which is celery, carrots, parsley, uh, coriander, um, a, a, a green apple. Hmm. Um, uh, what else? Oh, and also leeks. I mm -hmm. always put leeks in my soups. Mm -hmm. And small top 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 and put that in the soup. Anyway, so I make that lentil soup, which is really terrific, and it's rich, and mm. it's and you can, it depends on how thick you want to make it. Hardy um, is good. I like hardy. Yeah, in winter time especially. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and, I, and then if I'm not doing work the next day, mm -hmm. if I'm not seeing anyone, I will take cloves of garlic. And there's nothing like having real garlic and having three cloves, uh, and then you the, better not see anybody the next day. But I don't. But you don't smell on me the next day. 
really? think because my system is used to it. Wow. So I will chew the garlic and eat mm. the soup. Mm. And I tell you, there's just something so nutritious and wonderful. Mm. You know, when you put things in that your body is appreciative of what you're doing for mm. it, it will pay you back. You know, it's like someone said to me, what pills? And then when I go home, I go, what pills do you take? I said, for what? Well, for your heart, for your this, for your that. And I said, no, I don't take pills. What? You don't take pills for anything? And how's your cholesterol? My cholesterol's fine. Well, how's your blood pressure? Huh? Blood pressure's great. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You don't take anything? So I see them going. Because I left, and I had to save myself mm -hmm. and make sure I didn't embarrass the family, which means I had to take care of it all. Because I always wanted to go home, because my dad used to now, after all these years, because he was a very abusive man, He'd call me, please, I'm sorry, this and say, oh, le mendismo, which means my warrior. Mm. And it's, he gets all emotional and everything. And I said, I forgive you. He goes, what? I said, I forgive you. You were not a good father to me. Look how you turned out. I said, I spent 20 years in spiritual counseling to get out of what you did. But I must say, I had a great teacher here. And I, you know, it wasn't just the acting. How do you learn about life? Your journey. How do you understand yourself and how you associate with the people that you call in? Imagine going into a spiritual counselor. She was English. Mm -hmm. I go into the room and she says, she looks me up and down. She says, how dare you come here with the mind you have and the trash you associate with? Well. Wow. So, Excuse me, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and she's come back when you're ready. Six months later, I come back. She says, you ready? I said, yes. I learned meditation, which I had been doing all my life, basically. Wow. And I would sit there with her and we would talk about life and she would tell me what was missing or what we needed to work on, you know, what, what I was holding on to, what my anger was about, my regrets, you know, all that stuff. So she wow. began working on that for 12 years with her. Wow. And uh, that was great. My 20s, if there are any actors watching, young actors. There are plenty of actors watching. 20s are the years of where you plant your seeds. It's where you take the courses that are going to fulfill you when you get into your 30s and your 40s and your 50s. And you'll find out later on in life that those 20s and those seeds you planted, you are still activating today. My daughter is 20. She's at Tish right now, and she uh, just directed her first little film. And uh, are you listening, Samantha? The, the courses you take now are planting the seeds. It's very good because I, I said that to a class recently mm -hmm. about planting seeds. It's so important. It's so important. I said, what do you mean planting seeds? I said, you get an idea, mm -hmm. you know, and you plant it in your mind. And watch how, how it then begins to flourish. Can you give us an example of something that, um, that you planted? Yes. I planted to understand culture, so I studied art. Not knowing, I mean, I had a passion for it, mm -hmm. but I studied art. That became one scene. Then I wanted to understand how do I dress myself. Mm -hmm. So I studied fashion mm -hmm. with Melodondre. And then I wanted to understand how do you work with a director? I became the assistant to a director. Mm. So all these things, um, and all the, the journeys that I, that I had gone to, because my first journey out of America was to go to Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, all these were, without even realizing it, they were the things that, you know, when I'd go into an audition and someone, and I was, I was able to stand still 
or sit still and listen mm -hmm. was because I was building a foundation from those seeds that would then flourish later on and continue to flourish and become better and better because let's face it you reach a certain stage in your life and I, and I love that, that um, um, Obama um, Mrs. Obama mm -hmm. wrote a book called Becoming mm -hmm. and that's been my word because I say, he would say to students listen life is about becoming Mm. And that means that you don't know where you're going yet, but with the surety, because of what seeds you've planted, mm -hmm. you are becoming, and then one day you'll wake up and you'll know that you have become. Ooh. And then that's when you turn around and you become who you were when you came in. Wow. So we come in, because my teacher taught me this, mm -hmm. my spiritual counselor, she said this indentation we have above our lip is when the angels have come when you're born and they put their finger and it creates this indentation and says shh don't tell anyone anything so you proceed to forget it all and then discover it as you get older wow. and older and then that's what happens you, be, you become and then once you become then you're done then you realize then, then, then you're done then you but die. then oh but what it is the beauty of it is then you can pass it on Ah. Then you can teach it, then mm -hmm. you can become an example of it, mm -hmm. and that allows you for people to be interested. Um, it's like, you know, like I've told stories at the dinner table, you know, and there are always people who can't listen enough or don't want you getting all the attention, so they'll interrupt. Oh, yes, you know, I was there too, and when we went, and then I said I hadn't finished, and then they stop. So you have to know how to handle interruptions mm -hmm. and I think I've always felt that when people do that oh how without being rude about it mm -hmm. or making anybody embarrassed although sometimes I enjoy that <laughs> I can tell <laughs> you know it's, it's devil <laughs> you've got that devil you've got that but you got that smile that goes with the devil so you get away with because you're pretty uh, pretty <laughs> yes Pretty, don't you forget it. <laughs> so, okay, so, Taya, what, uh, what, what's ahead of you still? So you've become many things. And, and the travel, we, we really didn't talk about places. This is a wonderful book. Why, why, why does the Middle East draw you so much? You know, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, a friend of mine gave me for my birthday uh, the ancestry. And I thought, oh, I wonder... Oh. I said, all Greek, you know, I thought mm -hmm. to myself. So it comes back, and I'm 48% Italian. Wow. Greek. Tony DeMar. Well, that's Demera. That's what yeah. you played, right? All right, so yeah. the rest mm -hmm. is Egyptian, oh. Tunisian, um, Turkish, and Afghanistan. Wow. So I looked at that. Wait a minute, there's no know. Greek in there at all? Yeah, Italian, Greek. Oh, okay. And the Italian came because mm -hmm. in the 14th century, the island where my parents came from, mm -hmm. called Castellorizzo, was, in the 14th century, invaded by the um, Venetians. Mm -hmm. You can see their influence, the castle they built, uh, and so they spoke Italian. Mm -hmm. My father spoke Italian, oh. but he never told us why. I just mm -hmm. thought, oh, he just knows another language. Mm -hmm. But then when I found out why, mm -hmm. and I heard, and then I said to him, someone said, why are you so drawn to Egypt? Mm -hmm been so many times and I said I don't know really it's just that ah, 
it has so much for me to uncover within myself. And then my sister said, well, you know, our great-grandparents were from Alexandria. They were? So, you know, we don't go past history too much. You know, that's why kids these days don't even know what happened five years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, to know your ancient culture is mm -hmm. part of understanding the platform you stand on. Mm -hmm. and, and then when I found out, then I understood why. It was part of, because my, my great-grandparents were merchants mm -hmm. and also in Greece, they were merchants. And that's why I always wonder how I work with Arabs. When I go into a country, say, in Turkey, or if I go to um, uh, Jordan, or I go to Egypt, mm -hmm. why do I know how to work with them when it comes to business? Where they try to be smart with you, you know, the, you know, the wheeler dealer comes mm -hmm. up, you know, mm -hmm. and says, they, they size up and down, so I'll get this one. So I'm, I'm looking, and I'm being charming to them, you know, <laughs> being very nice, and then, I said, how much? Uh, and how much is that? And how much is that? Okay, I tell you what, let's put it all together and you tell me, you give me a price. They give me this price. And I go, really? Oh, okay, thank you. Now, wait. They chase you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I said, no, I don't like greedy people. You're greedy. What? You're greedy. I'm greedy? Yes. I said, I can see the game. So, let's, let, if you want to do business, let me give you a price. You sitting down? <laughs> so I give them the price. <laughs> I say, fine, I go. Then they chase you again. They bring you in. So you have to know how to deal with these ancient merchants that's been in their blood. Mm -hmm. that someone said, hey, how do you do that? And I said, you know what? I think it's from my grand grandparents. I think they knew ah. we, they were also merchants. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, all those things that are part of finding out your history, mm -hmm. which makes it more interesting to me about who you are. You know, it's like you don't have, what have you got to prove in left now in life, you know? Well, that, that, okay, so that's my next question. So we've got the history, we've got the, the what's brought you to today. What, what's left? What, what's ahead of you that you would still like to accomplish in your life? Well, another book. And uh, what's that going to be about? Culture and cuisine. Um, I've, I've gone to a lot of monasteries of late. Mm. You know? I've gone to Meteora in the northern part of Greece. Also at Mount Athos, uh, the year before that, and spent time with monks and realizing that just because they're connected to what they believe is God mm -hmm. doesn't mean they know more than I do. Mm -hmm. And um, just because that's their chosen path, mm -hmm. it's almost like they think they're having the voice of God coming through them. And then when I see ego playing mm -hmm. um, and how they, you know, they don't always like when you say no, and they think, excuse me? I said, no. It's like when they put food out for me and, and it's nine o'clock at night and it's all been deep fried and mm. they haven't washed their hands and they're shaving garlic on it and they're thinking it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I can't exist. Excuse me? I said, I can't exist. And why not? I said, because it's late. And I said, that food is gonna keep me up all night mm. and I'd like to think of you pleasantly in the morning. <laughs> and they look at me and, they, and I remember, this friend of mine's there with me and they turn around to him and they say to him, you know, I look at your face and I realize how much you've changed since you've arrived here. Then he looks at my face and says, but you haven't. And I went, now, if he's really a man of God, mm -hmm. he couldn't say that. Mm -hmm. He would try to understand where I was coming from mm -hmm. and, and use, but it was ego. And I mm -hmm. thought, then it said to me, 
Yeah, and I mean more than I do. As a matter of fact, I think I know more about life than you do because you've stayed here all your life, you know, following one path, you know, in prayer. And so I saw the egos. Mm. I saw where they were frightened mm -hmm. and they didn't like change, you know. Mm. So I found that interesting. So I, I wrote about that and I wrote about the other. And then I went to Egypt and I went three hours. I was a little nervous there because of ISIS. I went out into the Sinai and went to St. Anthony. And mm -hmm. St. Anthony is the first monastery mm -hmm. in the Christian world. And wow. That was from the third century AD. Mm -hmm. And so I went across three hour drive and I went into that monastery, the first, and I loved the history of, of St. Anthony. And so I go in and, and there was this little man, like this, uh, a monk. And uh, he looked at me and says, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, he said, sit down. So he grabs my hand and he holds it. Now, you know, it's not always comfortable for a man to hold your hand for a whole, whole hour. And you, you want him to do this. I need to breathe. I need to not be so... Uh, uh, but, you know, in the end, he was so gracious and so appreciative that I came all the way from America to spend time at their monastery and be interested. Mm -hmm. So I, find, I, I, I just... I just love uh, monasteries, and so my book is about the certainly more journeys that I've taken, mm -hmm. but also because at the end of it, I, I want to put a, a recipe. It's like the Bourdain, you know, Bourdain did mm -hmm. more about food than mm -hmm. he did about culture. Mm -hmm. I want to do the reverse. I want to do the culture, uh -huh. and at the end, um, as a way of, yeah, of celebrating, is to give, have food with the people that you're, you're sharing these moments with. And so that's what I'm doing. So that's now I'm back to page 100 and something. Lovely. And there's a mini-series maybe? <sighs> you don't have to talk about it. I, I'm developing something now. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want this knowledge that I've accumulated all these years just to be something where we just talk about it. You know, I think it should be passed on, especially when it has gravitas to it. Mm -hmm. and and, and because I've gone into dangerous territories to attain some of this knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, you yeah, want to share it? I want to share it. I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, but, pe you know, people always, the trouble with this industry is, you know, they, they, they see something doesn't work and, oh, no, they're not doing that anymore. Or they think, oh, that's going to work now. Whereas a year ago, they wouldn't even take the chance to do that, but they're waiting for somebody else to start it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all those obstacles you have to go through. But, you know... Obstacles are there for you to pause, mm -hmm. to understand, and once you understand it, that obstacle is going to move, and then you go to the next phase. So, perseverance is one of the great lessons in life, I think. Well, you, you didn't expect this from me today, did you? No, you thought I it was going to be a nice recipe. No, <laughs> <laughs> right? no, but you, but you gave us wonderful recipes for living, and that's um, that's very valuable, mm. and I appreciate it every moment. Teo Pengus, I adore you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Christina, thank you so much. Christina, thank you. And um, next week, we are going to be back with Norman Lear from his offices at the Sony Lot. And we are going to be early next week for Norman. Norman, we, when Norman says change the schedule, you change the schedule. Well, he's so, a pioneer. He's a pioneer. So we'll yeah. be live at 3 p.m. Pacific time next week. And a great week. man. A fabulous man. A great man. man. I a lot of heart. Him. Yes. Yeah, he's, one, he's from the old school, that man. When I first came to America, Norman Lear, see his heart. And also, he's a 
good storyteller. I mean, Wonderful you know, storyteller. Funny, you know. Yes. I mean, he's, he did a lot. That was a great era. And he has no ego. None. He really doesn't. Yeah, I can't say that about myself yet. <laughs> well, we're evolving. We're ever, he's 96. Oh, okay. You know, so. Oh, okay, by that time, maybe I'll put shove it aside. And say, <laughs> you know, that's it. Thank you so much for Thank having you. us Thank in the home. Thank you. Beautiful home. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Christina. Thank you.